Philippians chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, which will, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with the joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and the wonderful weather out. And I thank you for this opportunity that we just had to sing praises to you. And I pray for this passage and pastor as he preaches on it, that you will use it in our lives, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. Thanks, Jared. Well, let me share with you quickly uh, an update um, from Timothy. Some of you used to wonder, you know, if anything's different in Myanmar. <clears throat> and this is his uh, latest email here that was um, sent. Dear friends, first of all, I'd like to say thank you very much for your faithful prayer for us to live in Myanmar. 
The situation is worse and worse day by day. The demonstration is still going on in some places, but not a large number of people. Killing, arresting, gun shooting, burning buildings, bombing, bomb explosions happen every day in different places. Villages, towns, and cities. Every day, people die of those destructive activities. Traveling by car, by foot, by motorbike, by public transport is also dangerous. There had been no war in the Chin state of Myanmar. Now war has been going on in both southern Chin state and northern Chin state. Even the church buildings are robbed, arrested, and shot at. At present, in two, in two townships, Mindat and Kempele, the town people left the town and run to the forest for safety. Yesterday, even in the forest, means the, the, the jungle there, the terrorists came and shot the people. The terrorists keep on using jet fighters to bomb civilians and towns and villages. Many people are facing food problems. Many people are facing both food problems and terrible war trouble. Things are very difficult. I have no words to tell. Let me request you to continue praying for us. And so I'm going to do that this time. If you could unite your hearts together with me as we pray for our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. Lord Jesus, uh, we know that all the nations are precious to you. And so we pray that you would minister your peace to these people. Lord, I pray for the tremendous opportunities that come out of a country wracked with revolution and war to speak of the Prince of Peace. Lord, I ask that you would embolden and protect the believers and enable them to deliver the life-transforming message of the gospel. I pray that you would provide for their needs as a lot of things that they were depending on in the infrastructure and other ways of support have crumbled. Lord, I pray that uh, you would use your people there to have a mighty revival sweep across Myanmar. You did this in the 70s and the 80s among the Chin people, and now we ask that during this revolution you would have it sweep through the from the Chin people to the rest of um, the tribes and peoples of Myanmar. Lord, we thank you that not one atom in this universe is outside of your um, sovereignty. And we praise you, Lord, for the truth that uh, you do indeed hold the whole world in your hands. And so we entrust the situation to you. Give the peace that passes human understanding to um, our brother Timothy and his family and fellow laborers. In your name we pray. Amen. For your uh, scripture reading this week, you read through 2 Peter. <clears throat> so Mark and 1 Peter and 2 Peter were all kind of part of the, uh, a kind of a, a body of work in relation to Peter. There is anything that stood out to you from 2 Peter in your in your study or reading this particular week? You're going to be in Matthew this week, Matthew 1 to 7, and Matthew describes himself as a scribe for the kingdom. He's writing down the gospel story, and he is using the abilities that God gave him uh, to uh, to articulate that in his in his letter as an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. But anything in Second Peter hit you? Starts off saying that God has given us this incredible power. It's the very divine nature of God that dwells in us. And then to add to our faith these virtues. And then he talks about 
the things that fight against that false teaching that's there. Yeah? Well, I was just, uh, I read chapter two three times trying to understand it and I couldn't. So uh, it, it did strike me as rather frightening and I just was wondering if uh, it's just a little bit of a nutshell you could just sort of explain it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I worked through that chapter two at a, um, another time here, but yeah, there is some confusing stuff in chapter two with um, referring to uh, comparing the false teachers there to what went on in Genesis chapter six. Would be a good cross reference. Oh, okay. yeah. Only under Noah. Yeah. Yeah. Sons of God coming. You know the evil that was going on. All right. Well, I hope more lives have been impacted by Second Peter. Here and uh, more lives will be impacted in reading through Matthew 1 through 7 here. Um, any particular needs in our community that our church could be a blessing for that you're aware of? Mobilize perhaps some teams to, to uh, be a blessing to some folks. Speaking of which, let me read this announcement here, ladies. The end of month meeting is coming up for the Grace Expectations Ladies Outreach and Resource Group. Shaney heads up. Saturday, May 29th, from 7 to 8 p.m. Due to the timely change in COVID-19 ordinances, we'll be meeting at the home of Shaney Peace, but we'll also offer the meeting on Zoom. <coughs> Please RSVP to Shaney and let her know if you'd like a Zoom link. Lots of new opportunities for serving in our community and loving our neighbors in creative ways. And she gives her phone number and uh, email there and connect with her. So for those of you who um, have been um, partnering there and finding ways to serve their new ladies in particular through Shane's connections and counseling and uh, just their, their store is just a hub for ministry opportunities as they get to know their customers and needs. Um, uh, there, there is an end of the month meeting coming up. Saturday, May 29th from 7 8 Any other any opportunities you're aware of? Service? get into the word here, Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> I think this passage shows us that without a vision and a faith for continuing gospel mission to penetrate the darkness with light, we can tend to be sluggish like a stopped up pipeline. Did you ever have a culvert that got stopped up or with leaves or mud or dirt in the spring when the, when the snow melted? And uh, messed up your road. Is that just me? We could tend to be static, like petrified trees instead of a growing forest. 
stagnant like a smelly salt marsh instead of a flowing brook. We live in the USA where not too far, not too long ago in our recent history, pioneers achieved some incredible things. We lived in Oregon for eight years uh, near our, uh, about an hour's drive or so, in Oregon City was the end of the Oregon Trail Museum. And there were even some parts uh, in Oregon where you could still see the wagon ruts um, from, the, from the Oregon Trail. These pioneers navigated uncharted rivers, climbed mountains that hadn't even received a name until that point. They carved roads through some of the dense forests and taking whole wagon trains across unending plains, steep passes, and, and on and on for thousands of miles. Some of them faced dangers that they had no idea that they would face. They tried to grow crops without knowing if the soil was right for it. They endured highs and lows of heat and cold. They had to rely on their wits and sometimes their own sheer brute strength to get them through it. And so we hear that word pioneer, and it has this ring to it, a, a, a courage, an accomplishment, going beyond being the first to see or do something. And Paul here, we see in these verses here, has that spirit for the gospel, a pioneering spirit of the gospel, to go to places where it hadn't been heard. And he found himself in his first and second and third missionary journeys Standing in synagogues and marketplaces and private houses and public halls like the Hall of Tyrannus and Ephesus before magistrates and rulers and ordinary folks in towns and villages. Telling them this extraordinary news that there is one true God rather than the multiple pagan deities. That this one true God had made the world. He had loved it. He was bringing justice and hope. And that this God, to fulfill his plan, had sent his own son to suffer the fate of a rebel. And now to be enthroned as the world's true Lord. Paul said in verse 15 of Romans chapter 15 that he admitted he had written boldly to these house churches in Rome at different places in the letter. And such was Paul's habit of speaking and acting boldly ever since Damascus. And so, he begins to see himself <clears throat> in verse 16 as being like a priest in the temple. Only this time, instead of under the Jews' sacrificial system of animals being offered in sacrifice, he, as a Jew, was bringing the Gentile nations themselves and their newfound faith and obedience as a sacrifice, as an offering to the one true God. Made holy not by who they were in themselves, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it was to be a pioneer. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Romans is a missionary document. This is a missionary letter here. He's not just giving us dry theology about who we were before Christ, what Christ has done, what that makes us here. This is a missionary document. And, the, and, and Paul has, has pre is presenting a report in these verses here on his missionary activities. In chapter 16, he's going to greet fellow missionaries and their congregations, some of them leading house churches. 
And then at the end, in verses, chapter 16, 17 through 20, he's going to give his final greetings and close with a doxology. And you might think here, Paul, in this letter, has given us some hard stuff to chew on. Some tough stuff in here. You might think he would just lighten the mood here with some gentle and, and, and nice remarks here about how it would be nice to get together sometime. But there isn't much of a drop in intensity in this letter here as he's closing it in chapter 15 here because he keeps pressing on this apostolic mission. God's mission. And so Romans is written in the heat and the pressure of a mission to reach the Gentiles rather than a letter written in a seminary professor's office. So we have this letter to the Church of Rome. This is around uh, AD 57. And Paul's preparing both himself and the Roman Christians for missionary outreach in Spain. He plans for in AD 57. And he emphasizes a few things that might help you understand this a little better. That there is an international and universal scope. This is what the Lord had said. Remember in Acts chapter 1, under the uttermost parts of the earth, they are to bear witness of Christ. That from Jerusalem and as far around as Elycrium and even Spain in chapter 15, the gospel is to progress. And there's a responsibility of the Roman Christians to have the same scope of understanding. He says in verse 24, I want to see you on my journey and to be sent by you once I've been around your company for a little while. 1524. Because the strategy of this mission here focuses on, on people becoming disciples of Christ here and becoming churches and becoming churches that multiply no matter where they live or matter who they are. And he's reminding the Christians in this Roman capital of that truth. And then he's reminding us too in this letter that missionary work and thrust and theology belong together. They depend on one another. Because the better we understand the word of God and his mission, the better we'll be able to present his truths. And Paul, the missionary, can't be separated from Paul, the theologian. In Romans 1 through 3, Paul had explained that there is a solidarity of sinners. There is something that we all share as sinners, whether Jews or pagans. And there is no escape from God's judgment. And he reminds them of that to remind these believers that he's writing to who had seemed to seem to have expressed themselves in some prideful factions over disputable matters that we looked at in chapter 14. That the ground was level at the cross and they had no reason to boast to be self-righteous. But God had a mission to save. And God expected Jew and Gentile in these house churches to participate in this together. Because there's no longer Jew or Greek, or slave or free, or male or female, for you're all one in Jesus Christ. So this missionary work focused on God's promised plan. It's not just a theory. This is blood, sweat, and tears that Paul's writing about in chapter 15. This is, this, this is people. These are lives. This is real stuff. And both Paul and this Roman church 
can only be effective in their mission here when they understand that God's love is present in the midst of the congregation. And that same love that brought them together, God wants that family to grow. So, here is Paul. Survivor of exile in one sense, a priest in one sense, who goes on this circuit here until the furthest islands and nations that the time has come for them to join in worship of the one true God. And he's announcing that his plan to visit a church that he's not, he's not, he hasn't founded. He hasn't visited ever. But where several of his co-workers now are living here, that he is he's preparing the groundwork for that visit and reminding them that he needs their support and their partnership for a mission to Spain. If you're wondering what this letter is about, all you have to do is go back to chapter 1, where Paul describes the gospel in verses 1 through 7. And then in, in, in 5, he says in chapter 1, by whom we receive grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom are you also the call of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without witness I make mention of you always in my prayers making requests that by any means at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. So now, here's the bookend. He's coming all the way back to this theme again. I want to see you, he says. Why does he want to see them? Verse 11 of chapter 1. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established, that you may be strengthened in the gospel. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me, what we have in common, what we share in common. Now, I would not have you up, uh, ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was prevented into the, that I might have some fruit on you also, even as among other Gentiles. And he says, I'm debtor here. I have this gospel that I, that I am, uh, that God's entrusted to me. And this gospel is the power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. These verses here really show us in chapter 15 now what he was thrusting at here. Now Romans is a missionary letter. First thing I want you to see here is that there is a gospel mission. There is a gospel mission. What is this gospel mission? Well, Romans 15, verse 15, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I've written you the more boldly in some sort, is putting you in mind, helping you remember, because the grace of God that was given me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Here's what it is. When Paul says he is a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, and he is offering up the sacrifice of Gentiles, that word minister is where we get the word liturgy. It's the idea of being a priest. Being a priest. You see, worship had transferred from this physical building of a temple in Jerusalem to the people of God where God dwelt. God lives in the middle of his, pe of his people. He doesn't manifest himself in a special way in brick and mortar buildings. It's people. 
Christians are God's temple. And what he is saying is that this mission, this gospel mission here, has profound realities. You might not have thought of yourself as a priest before. When you are engaging in God's work, you are a priest. In fact, First Peter tells us we're a kingdom of priests. We are the priests. We represent the Lord. We offer sacrifices that are now not physical sacrifices in the sense of animals here, but acts of service to the Lord. And that shouldn't come as too much of a surprise when we read chapter 12, 1 and 2, where we present our bodies as a living sacrifice that's wholly acceptable to God. And where we are to make sure that, that we, are, we are presenting ourselves as acceptable worship to the Lord. What this gospel mission really is, is ministering Christ to the nations. Ministering the gospel of God. That the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. What does this gospel ministry accomplish? Well, look what he says here in verse 17. Because this is God's work that he's participating in, he says, I therefore wherever I may glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God, I have nothing to boast about here, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not worked by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through many mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elytrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. In this span, in this area here, Jerusalem to Elytrium, he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Think about Paul's practices in the book of Acts here. The patterns that you see in the book of Acts. What would Paul mean when he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ? What would you say? That as he walked by, every guy he saw, every person he saw, they got a gospel tract and they got a, 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 a verbal witness. Is that what he's saying? That might be part of it, but that's not what he's saying. That's not the, that's not the fullness of what he's saying. What is he saying when he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Elytrium? What has he accomplished? Paul had a strategy, didn't he? What was Paul's strategy? When Paul went to particular places that he planned to go to, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to go here. Oh, okay. Yep, that's the one I'm going to go to. No. He had a strategy. And he would make points of contact he mapped out where he was going to go. He planned where he was going to go. The Spirit had to direct them, sometimes away from his plans to other places that the Spirit had, right? When he went to Macedonia. But he had a strategy, and there was a pattern here. And you could remember it with three E's. He would evangelize strategically. He would find points of contact, whether that was the synagogue or down by the river in Philippi, or whether as he walked through Athens... And mingled among the marketplace there. He found a way to connect to those people and their false worship of unknown gods. But he evangelized strategically. And then when people respond to the faith, what would he do? He would nurture them. He would bring them into fellowship together. He would form churches. He would raise up leaders. In fact, you see this, Luke really encapsulates it very well. 
succinctly in Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. Acts 14 verse 21. Paul's very first missionary journey, he sets this pattern in place. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church that prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. There you go right there. There's capsule form of what Paul means when he says, I have fully preached the gospel here. He has established beachheads from Jerusalem to Elycrium. He has planted the flag of the gospel through planting churches here. He has made disciples. He has gathered those disciples together. He has entrusted them to leaders that have risen during that time to continue to nurture there. And he expects them to see that multiplication continue. So when Paul says he has fully preached the gospel of Christ in a liquorium, what he's saying is he's multiplied churches. And they can continue that work. But he doesn't want to build on another man's foundation. He's a pioneer. And some of you are like this. You have this apostolic mentality here. A vision to go beyond. Cultivate that. He says, I don't want to build on another man's foundation because there were more than just Paul out there serving the Lord, right? There were more people who were planting churches besides just Paul. And so he says in verse 20, Yea, so I may strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they, have, they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. You say, guys, in Rome, the reason I haven't been able to see you yet is because I've been involved in this mission. And planting churches. And multiplying churches here. And it's, there's nothing wrong with building on another foundation. There's people who fit those roles. Apollos is one of those. But he's saying, my calling is to keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. <coughs> Make the Gentiles obedient by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15. I'd like you to go over to Isaiah 52, verse 15. And what's the next chapter about? Isaiah 53, what's that about? That's the one we're familiar with, right? With the suffering servant, the prophecy. But Isaiah 52, verse 13, this is where it begins. Isaiah 53 actually begins in Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and bear very high. As many were astonished at you, his visage, his appearance was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. And Paul quotes from Isaiah 52, 15 to say, i got to go beyond. i got to pioneer the gospel. So shall he sprinkle many nations. That word sprinkle is startle. Wake up. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them, they shall they see. And that which they had not heard, shall they consider. And Paul says, 
on the basis of what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before about what Jesus would do here. He's going to do that through me and through us. People that had no knowledge of Jesus are going to be startled to awake. They're going to be arrested by Jesus just like I was on the road to Damascus. They're going to see Jesus for who he truly is in his beauty here. And that's why I'm doing this. And it got me thinking, and I shared this Wednesday night, we get together uh, at our house um, for, for prayer meeting here. Um, we live in Knox County in the state of Maine. About 40,000 people or so. And we would probably say that the gospel has been fully preached in Knox County. Or has it? And I shared with them here, I was talking to uh, Deputy Tim Davis a couple weeks ago about some of his um, activities that he's had to do on Matinicus. I say Matinicus Island and what comes to mind? Easy place? Nice? Sweet? Cutting your lines, lobstermen? Right, Garrett? Do you think the gospel encompasses Matinicus? 75 people live on Matinicus. And I was corrected last Wednesday uh, here. It is, the, it is the, the farthest inhabited place off the east coast of the Atlantic Ocean of the U.S. Guess how many churches are on Matinicus? There's a congregational building that was built there in 1906, and they have some services and some community events in the summer. Are there believers on the Tinnicus? Perhaps. I don't know. Maybe it's God's calling somebody to penetrate the Tinnicus. I know I wouldn't do it with salmon pants on. Maybe God's calling someone to penetrate Matinicus with the gospel. To share life, to find a point of contact, to break through with the gospel. Are those people beyond the gospel? <laughs> there were German barbaric tribes and Celts in Britannia that were killing and eating people that the gospel penetrated and changed their lives. Do you have a vision for the gospel expanding beyond our little ruts? To whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And so I was particularly burdened about Matinicus here for the last two weeks. That God would take and call someone to go there and plant the flag of the gospel there. And see some disciples made and cultivate them and equip them to make more disciples there. Maybe that's some of you with your pioneering spirit. I don't know what God will do. God called a New England boy 
a Congregationalist in the 1800s to cross the sea and go to Burma to plant the flag of the gospel there. For five years, saw no fruit, nothing. And then when he began to actually share life with the Burmese and take some of their customs, God began to open doors. He had to surrender some New England culture to do that. And God opened. When God opened his heart, God opened his gospel. And he saw a convert come to the Lord. And then another. And he went through horrific suffering there. But he planted the flag of the gospel in Myanmar, Burma. And Timothy and others are descendants of that fruit. What's your ambitions? You say, well, I don't know that God's calling me to go to a different culture, a different country. But are you expanding the borders of the gospel beyond your home? Have you started with your home? Your neighborhood? Work conversations, perhaps at lunch? You have a gospel vision of what God can do for you. It's going to be different for different people, different capacities. God's got a call on your life to represent Him and bear Him. Well. But how does this happen? Because not everybody's called to be Paul and do pioneering work in that sense, right? Well, there's a gospel partnership. And so what I'd like you to notice then after verse 21 are these words here. Verse 22, for which cause... Also, I have been much hindered from coming to you because I've been, I've been planting churches from Jerusalem to Elycrium. But now, having no more place in these parts, I, I, fill, I fill that. And so now I'm going to... And having a great desire in these many years to come to you, once over, I take my journey into Spain. He's not even saying Rome is his final destination, is it? He's seeing Rome as a stopping point to expand the gospel west. Spain was pretty much the furthest west of their known world. Perhaps he could use some translators, he could use some team members from Rome, he could certainly use their financial support to get there, because travel wasn't cheap, supplies he would need. And he wants them to partner with him. He, he says, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. So he's speaking of it like, this is just what I'm going to do. I'm going to Spain, and on my way there, I'm going to come to you. Why? Verse 23. Having great desire these many years to come to you, whensoever I take my journey to Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way there by you, at first I might be somewhat filled with your company. What's partnerships, relationships here? But in the meantime, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to go work on this offering that we've had the Gentile churches gather. You can read about this in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the end of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16. There's a, there's a famine that went on in Jerusalem, the believers there, and they had gathered up all kinds of offerings from the different churches that wanted to help with that, and he was going to go deliver that. And he wants to go deliver that here to, to, um, to be a blessing to those Jewish believers in Jerusalem 
And he says, It pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And it's pleased them verily or truly, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, who've been grafted into this olive tree, their duty is also to minister to them in carnal or material things. When therefore I perform this, when I deliver this offering here to the Jerusalem believers here, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. You see this connecting words here. Coming to you. Having a great desire these many years to come to you. I shall come to you. I hope to see you. Be helped on my way there by you. I want to enjoy your company for a while. Gentiles have been partakers. I shall go by way of Spain. I come to you, verse 29. Come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Partnership. Partnership with the gospel. See so the progress going beyond borders. And you have the partnership. You have senders and goers, right? You have those holding the ropes. And you have those on the end of the rope. And so now he says in verse 30 through 33. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me, you work together with me in your prayers to God for me. Did you catch that? He says, party is going with me. Whether you're physically, some of you might physically come with me to Spain, but you all can have a part in going by Striving together with me in your prayers. To God for me, for two things, that I may be delivered from them which do not believe in Judea. When he goes and delivers the offering, he's going to have some hostile Jews who knew him before who want to take him out. So he be delivered from them. And number two, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted, well received of the saints, so that I can come to you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Strive together. Come to you with joy. Be refreshed together with you. The God of peace be with you all. Do you see all these connecting words here between Paul and this church? Partnership in the gospel. You say, well, I don't have anything to give, or I can't go myself this season of life. No, you can do. You can be there on the front lines through prayer. That you strive together with me in your prayers to God. When's the last time you really prayed for gospel expansion in your ministry? Where has God called you? In your season of life? In your spheres of networks? Where He's placed you? Where has He called you to cultivate a pioneer spirit in gospel mission? It's a risk you need to take for the gospel. That we're not all called to do what Paul was going to do. He's called all of us to take risks for the gospel.
What's your next step? Is it worth it to invest in this mission? And where has he called you to partner and support more than you are? More than you are. Particularly in your prayer life. You strive together. Listen, without this kind of a vision, we can be pretty static, can't we? We just maintain. We're thinking about this recently here and asking myself, what do churches do when they what do people do when they want to plant a church? It's a lot of one mindedness in that mission, right? A lot of uh, uh, uh of a, of a, um, uh, a outreach, a lot of a desire to see God do something in the community, right? And then churches that get a little group together, and then, oh, we did it. <laughs> Flatline. Maintain, right? What is that ever God's vision for His church? We do have a lot of churches in our area, but you know what would be amazing? If there were communities of believers within walking distance of every single neighborhood in this county. Then it may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed together in union. The God of peace be with you all. God calling you to do? How are you going to participate in this mission of making disciples, multiplying believers? Where is your part in that task? Evangelizing, establishing, training leaders. Where's your part in that? What are the gifts God's given you to contribute to this mission? And what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Lord, give me wisdom in my particular role here. Come alongside those who have these hungers, who feel your calling, who you're beginning to tap on their hearts perhaps for pioneering work, perhaps for some of the establishing work, perhaps for some of the training work, or wherever their particular roles are in, whether that's across the street to their neighbors, at the playground, coffee shops, co-workers, the water cooler or lunch hour. Lord, you know the opportunities that we have. Help us to see our primary identity as being a family of servant missionaries. And the other things that we're a part of, our work and our uh, neighborhoods, to be uh, uh, ways that we express that identity. Thank you, Lord, for what you'll do. Thank you, Lord, for what you did here in planting this church so many years ago. Help us to never lose the wonder of the gospel of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.